0: From really FM, this is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode 14 for April 5th, 2022. I'm Jason Snell, joined as always by Julia Alexander, Senior Strategy Analyst at Parrot Analytics. Julia, welcome back.
1: Jason, thank you. How are you?
0: Good. How are you?
1: You know what? Can't complain.
0: Uh, Watch the Grammys. It was good. Good yeah. times. We have, Since we were last on, there were Oscars, there were Grammys. Yeah. yeah. There's. I got a little item. I'm going to ask you a, a question later about... Uh, award shows but uh we'll save that uh because i got some follow-up first before we dive into this episode um so you tweeted a a report that parrot analytics did Mm -hmm. involving building demand globally for things like south korean dramas and japanese anime i feel like we we sort of pre-covered some of this as you were working on it already on this podcast but i thought it was interesting to mention it again uh, that idea of this halo of demand that kind of gets generated, that the, it's the connected universe of whoever made the thing that's popular. So something like Squid Game connects to similar content from that country. It connects to other projects with uh, the stars of that, whatever it is that's a hit, the directors in common. Uh, if there's anything you want to add that kind of came out of the uh, the report, now would be no. a good time. But I think we did cover a lot of it uh, the last few weeks
1: yeah yeah there's no nothing much to add it was um it my team and I and I lead this team we decided we wanted to look into this idea of a correlation between talent and content um driven mostly by arguments in Hollywood over what you know what's more important what came first the i p or talent uh. uh and I thought I don't think you can just say binary terms this one's more important, but I thought, you know I wonder if. You know, talent affects content if content affects talent. And we've, and I wanted to hyper focus on South Korean and Japanese content because it was, has seen this explosion of growth over the last um, two to three years, really. Japanese, maybe two to five. Um, and yeah, the, the results were basically content definitely helps a lot of these actors uh become worldwide sensations but on the other front of it when you have artists like BTS and Blackpink who are um K-pop stars they help um on YouTube they really help bring that type of music uh, and new content venues through their popularity so it was it was exciting it's a free report you can just go to com and download it if you're interested in it um it's fun it's fun especially if you like South Korean content
0: yeah i was going to i was going to say BTS one of the lessons here is really just that uh the, uh, B- bts is huge that's that's like surprise to anyone but yeah. uh bts is huge <laughs> it's it's a it's a true thing um we should say you mentioned your team mm-hmm. you are hiring i am and if there are any downstream listeners who want to work with julia you know you can check the show notes in your podcast player or at relay.fm slash downstream for links to the jobs uh, strategy analyst and industry strategy analyst and uh, who knows? Maybe your next uh, coworker is listening right now. It's possible. That would be so exciting. Could be. We we'll get. Uh, we'll get downstream. We'll get a little uh, referral bonus or something. Yeah. Uh, I should put in for that. Uh. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll see if anybody applies. <laughs> okay. Uh. So mention the Oscars. Coda uh, from Apple TV Plus won Best Picture, mm-hmm. first streamer film to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. And I wanted to ask you the big question, which is. Does it? I mean, what I want to say is what does it mean? But I really kind of want to say, does it mean anything? Does it mean something? What does it really mean to have a streaming film win Best Picture? What do you think?
1: Yeah, you know, I was actually looking into this today and I wanted to know if, to your point, if Coda winning Best Picture and, and a couple other notable Oscars, if it led to a lift in demand for Coda on Apple TV Plus, and then our demand data is about 90, I would say 99% effective in, in predicting whether or not people would sign up or if they're already signed up, engage with the service to watch a movie or a TV show. Um, Coda saw so a little bit of a lift the uh, you know first two days after the Oscars, but then it kind of fell off pretty quickly, and I think this speaks to the more broader question about the Oscars that a lot of the people in the film community have, which is you know do, are are the are the films that are at the Oscars just totally um divested from what the mainstream population is interested in watching and I think with something like coda specifically. There is always going to be an audience who wants to check out the Best Picture winner, but this wasn't necessarily The Shape of Water. This isn't a Lord of the Rings movie. This isn't a film where people are like, I have to watch it. It's really interesting, or it's really unique, or maybe it's a little bit um, weird in my eyes or or in in someone's eyes, and they really want to figure out what's going on. Um, It's also not necessarily a groundbreaking film, the way that Parasite was, and so people really wanted to watch Parasite when we saw, and, and you can see demand for Parasite really pick up. So I think... The question for Coda is, you know, does it generate additional engagement and revenue for Apple? I'm not too sure. And I think that leads to the bigger question. And, of course, you are the Apple guru about what Apple TV Plus is for Apple in a sense of what of that we don't know beyond the theoretical ideas that we have for why Apple TV Plus would be important to Apple. But I do think it speaks to the fact that a lot of these, which we talked about in this podcast before, a lot of these movies – are no longer getting the theatrical treatment that they would get from traditional studios because they're just not movies you can make good money on anymore for the most part. But for someone like Apple or for Netflix where they had Power of the Dog and Don't Look Up on their service, which are nominated for Best Pictures, it becomes a type of movie that really brings you into those conversations, really makes talent look at you in a different way. And I think that is the bigger win for Apple. Like, Coda won Best Picture, and that was great. But the bigger win is Apple gets to say, we are now an Oscar-winning studio, Mm. and we get to work with top-tier talent going forward on these different types of projects.
0: Right, take us seriously. uh, If you're looking for something that's going to get the attention of Oscar, we've now run a winning Best Picture campaign, right? So, like, um, yes, bringing your movie to Apple TV+, Plus does not preclude you from winning the Oscar. And, in fact, we've got the money to market it to make it that uh, exactly. Right, right. It's good for their relationships, which I think were already pretty good. Mm-hmm. And um, something that I think we talked about two weeks ago is also the, the vibe in Hollywood, like people th- feel threatened by Netflix, but they love Apple, even though they're both tech giants. Yes. And so I think you saw that here, too. I, you talk about demand. I mean, I'm sure there's demand. Just as there was when, when, you know, for movies and theaters, when something wins best picture, people are like, oh, I I ought to watch that. But I don't know. I also feel like for a lot of people, the demand generation and i don't know if you got research to pr- to prove this or, or disprove it but i feel like a lot of demand generation happens with the nominations with the short lists because yes. then you're like oh well i didn't know what movies to watch but now here's a list literally here's a list of eight movies or 10 movies or five movies or or even if you look at the deeper nominees list 10 or 15 movies and and i do that certainly is i i look at the short list when they come out and think oh well i'm gonna make a little list of what streamers they're on and i'm gonna go there. So you're sort of creating demand, just being it's an honor just to be nominated, but like creating that does create demand. I watched Power of the Dog two days before the Oscars. And one of the reasons is um, because it was up for Best Picture and I hadn't seen it like it was, you know, after the fact, I suppose I would have been like, oh, geez, I really ought to see that. But that demand worked for me in advance, uh, just based on the fact that it was up for the Oscar.
1: You're 100% right. We definitely see more demand when the nominations get announced. And in between that period of early december to um january and then into well this year it was different because the oscars late, but right into the actual award ceremony to your exact point jason people i mean amc hosts the weekend where you can go binge all the movies like there's they there's definitely a moment of like i want to watch this before the oscars so that i have a dog in the race like i want to know who i'm going to be rooting for and i think the other thing that happens too with coda specifically is and i use my mom as an anecdote for everything because my mm-hmm. mom is such a huge power consumer of content and is kind of trying to navigate the streaming world from a non-insider perspective and so for me she's just like ah what are you doing and she said to me she goes i really want to watch coda can i get it on dvd and i said i don't you know i don't know actually i don't think so i like think you how you can only get it through apple tv plus and she said i don't know if i have that i'm not interested to know if i have that and i'm not interested in signing up Versus if it had been available on Netflix, she would have watched it Like right. the next day. She would have said, OK, I have Netflix. I'm going to go and do this. And I think that's still a precursor for a lot of people is they don't even know if they have Apple TV Plus. And a lot of people, I still think, are not necessarily interested in knowing if they have it, Apple TV Plus. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's the challenge. I, I guess I, I would counter by probably saying that um, if anything is going to make somebody like that actually try Apple TV Plus. It's something like getting nominated or winning Best Picture, right? right? And again, if it still doesn't do it, then I mean, that shows you the challenge of somebody like Apple trying to get people to sign up for their service. But I think it's a good attempt to get people to sign up. It's like, okay, this is going to put me over the edge. I saw a comment today on Tim Goodman's Substack. He was mm-hmm. writing about um, uh, Slow Horses, the new. Um, spy adaptation on apple tv plus and he wrote about the first two episodes which were released last week and there was somebody in the comments basically saying oh i've got so many services i've really resisted um apple tv plus but this sounds interesting and maybe i'll sign up and i i think like acquisition for especially now that we're getting towards saturation any streaming service that's not part of your package already has a bigger hurdle to overcome and And it might not do it, but at least at least it's tempting people, right? (laughs) To be like, oh, maybe I do need to sign up for Apple TV Plus, and then I could watch Ted Lasso too. and okay, I'll do it, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, it's like what we've talked about on this podcast quite a bit. There is high acquisition titles, and movies, more than anything else, are high acquisition titles. When Jason Kyler, who's the CEO of Warner Media, and when him and his team decided to do Project Popcorn, which was in 2021 making movies uh, available simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max, the idea was hey, these movies are going to be big drivers of new subscribers. Like, that's exactly why we're doing it. We're prioritizing HBO Max. Same thing here, where Coda, if anything, is going to lead to more people signing up for Apple TV Plus, it's either Ted Lasso or Coda. And the issue Apple TV Plus runs into, as you and I have talked about on this podcast many times, is there's not really much to keep them there afterwards, although that is changing. I think if you...
0: They're building the catalog slowly, but it's not like anybody else. It's a very small catalog.
1: Exactly. And so if Apple's in this really interesting position where they – well, at least publicly, there has been no clear interest in having a catalog. Privately, who knows if they're exploring deals. And I'm sure they're always right. exploring deals because they are an M&A giant. Um, but uh, publicly, what they've done is really put value on these high acquisition titles where you're signing up for Ted Lasso. And if you're not, you're signing up for Severance. And if you're not, you're signing up for Coda. So there's all these reasons for people to get into Apple TV+. Plus, and what the Oscars do is really put – Apple TV Plus on this main stage in the same line with Disney and Sony to the point where people are going, OK, yeah, maybe I finally sign up about, for this. I, I've yeah. heard about Ted Lasso. It won the Emmy. I've heard about Coda. I'm going to go in. And, and I think that what those two wins really specifically speak to is Tim Cook and his team have consistently said, we kind of want to be this like wholesome streaming service. We're not necessarily interested in doing super, super violent or other things. I suspect that will change as they as they get if they get more into content. I mean,
0: I watched the first season of C. It, it, it's super violent. I mean, I think yeah. I think that they have I think they've decided to go with posit like a positivity and optimism as yes. sort of one of their foundational things. But there's plenty of bad words and violence in their stuff. It's just I think they're trying to avoid a more sort of cynical um view i mean although that said i've been watching and being blown away by severance and severance <laughs> although it is i mean i i don't know where it's going because the season isn't over yet but it is it gets dark i mean it gets real dark so i guess i guess they're just trying to you know they, they don't want something that feels like super cynical and nihilistic but they're willing to go i think tonally i think they're willing to span a pretty broad range of of tones
1: Exactly. And they have this beautiful moment of if we think about who is really paying attention to shows like Severance and shows like C. am not going to include The Morning Show in there, but ser- certain series like that, um, The Shrink Next Door, it's mostly critics and people who are hyper-engaged with television who are more likely to check out something like Apple TV Plus pretty early on, who are saying like, I'm going to watch, you know, Day One, I want to watch C. I want to watch Morning Show, I want to watch Dickinson. It's a pretty... Um, big group but it's not a massive group. And then when you get with Ted Lasso and Coda is really the biggest group possible. You have yep. these really positive uplifting heartwarming stories that it appeals to everyone. That's kind of the Apple playbook. I, you know I think I tweeted at some point that like Apple being late to the game in this situation is the most, but, but really coming out and being the most like mainstream love service uh, in terms of with this movie and with Ted Lasso is the most Apple move in in the world. Like this is like Apple coming in and saying, yeah, we're late to streaming, but don't worry, we have it figured out. We've got good executives (laughs) and content development teams. Like we're we're good. And I think really the story about Coda is almost a, a bigger story about Netflix. You know, Netflix spends more than any other company on, for your consideration campaigns to get the Oscar nominations, to to hopefully get the Oscar wins. Like they're out there, they're putting in the work and year after year, they're like just short. It's mm-hmm. like, and I think them losing specifically to Apple, who, as many people have pointed out, did not make this movie. They bought they, they the bought movie it Sundance. from yeah. Sundance, and they were like, "Hey, we're going to outbid everyone else because we're Apple and we want to own this movie." Um, I think that's a really big blow to Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos, who really want, and especially Ted Sarandos, who really wants that Best Picture Oscar. You've got Amazon, who's got. The first major Oscar win for a streamer, which was Best Actor for Casey Affleck um, back uh, by with Manchester by the Sea in like 2017, 2018. Then you have Apple come out and they win Best Picture and they've got Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor for Coda. And Netflix has a few awards too. They've got a few major awards. But now that Apple has won Best Picture, it's like Netflix is late to the game for an industry it created. And that's like a weird position for the company. But it, I mean, all award shows are political. So. Sure.
0: That's that's exactly right. Like it is. First off, contests about art. There's no right answer. (laughs) And in this case, I I think it's absolutely the case that uh, people in Hollywood like are predisposed to like Apple. And they don't there. A lot of them are predisposed to dislike Netflix, which is interesting because Netflix really if Apple had just barreled in as the first streamer to be nominated, everybody would have freaked out. But like Netflix took all of the arrows there. Um, so Apple
1: makes their favorite phones, though.
0: Yeah, well, they that's, that's the phones. thing is there's a huge affinity for the brands because they've got their, their MacBook and they've got their iPhone. And so they're like, yeah, cool. Apple's cool. Um, <laughs> and they probably have Apple TV Plus because they got a trial or they, they signed up for their services bundle. And so then they watched it. And you're right. It's also a crowd-pleasing, heartwarming movie. I, I was listening to a podcast this weekend where... Uh, some of the hosts were talking about coda being kind of like not much of a movie uh and then one of them disputed it and said well actually it is a nice movie it's like yeah well it's nice but it isn't very cinematic and uh there was a really nice um tweet that i saw and i wish i had the link for it but i don't think i'm going to be able to find it uh that that showed it was a thread that showed the same scene in coda and the french movie that coda was based on and i'm telling you and this is my feeling about, it. I'm, I'm a big fan of CODA. I think it's a, I think too. it's a very good movie is this, uh, this tweet thread was pointing out all the, the little choices made in the scene in CODA that make it far more emotionally impactful, far better, more cinematic than the French version, um, mm-hmm. of the, of literally the same scene when the two parents are sitting in the audience watching their daughter sing a duet on stage. um, and I feel like that's what elevates CODA is. I disagree with the take that CODA is not cinematic. I think it is a very familiar story. And if, if you're looking for novelty, you're not going to get it from CODA. But like, I think every step, every detail, every creative choice within CODA was a good one. I think it's actually, that's why it's kind of a magic little movie is that it is a very well-made movie. And another friend of mine who's in the Academy pointed out to me, hey, a good movie won Best Picture. That's kind of all we can ask for, because sometimes that doesn't happen. Might not be the best movie of the year. I'm sure it wasn't the best movie of the year, if you could measure it. But it was, I think, a well-made movie that people liked. And honestly, that's the awards for art that's what ends up happening right it's political it's it's about uh, uh being a broad crowd pleaser or wanting to make a statement these are the things that win oscars and money well, th- money also e- helps
1: exactly <laughs> and i think you hit on something really important jason which is absolutely coda create and i like i agree with you i love coda i think it is a it is a well-done creative movie i don't, but i think i've noticed this There is this inherent turn, and I don't want to say it's an inherent rejection because it's not, but a turn away from the last 15 years or so, especially on the television front, where the dark, gritty anti-hero really yeah. dominated. And I don't want to say it's a rejection because obviously we're still doing those types of shows and movies and they're still very successful. But there's this moment, and I always define it within the two-subject sub- um, two matter. It's either subverting or it's vulnerable. And what we're getting a lot of, and this actually leads into our next topic, what we're getting a lot of is these, really great success stories on shows and movies that many would argue are not as strong from a creative standpoint but are really full of vulnerability and are smart and sharp in the way that they are subverting what the audience is expecting from the last 20 years of television and film and I from I can see it from the data I can just inherently feel it as someone who also consults with creative development teams there's this desire for morally stories where people's favorite characters and people's favorite you know whether it's in a movie over the course of two hours or a tv show over the course of 10 hours are not dying and are not sad all the time or going through a thing where it's like hey they feel vulnerable and it's funny and it's heartwarming and there's something about it that makes me feel inherently more human and connected to humanity in this moment and i think we're so quick to say, well, that's not as cinematic or as groundbreaking as something like uh, on the TV front, something like Breaking Bad, something like Mad Men, where it's so detached in many ways from the humanity, although it's certainly a, a core part of it. I don't want to say they don't get into the core essence of being a human, but where it becomes a conversation about something completely different and that gets celebrated. And I think we're in this turning moment where we're celebrating this idea of living and life and we're coming out of the pandemic and there's a war happening and people are kind of like, I just want – to feel connected to something and good and see other people be human. And Coda was like the best representation of that year in entertainment, yeah. I felt like.
0: I think I think that's a good call. Before we do move on, I have one last question for you about awards, which is uh, would it ever make sense to for these for a major award show to stream on a streaming service yes. instead of being on broadcast TV? Yes.
1: Yeah. Like it's the fact that it is not the fact that That it is not as wild considering Disney runs it. It it could air on ABC, like on on Hulu. It airs on ABC. It could stream on Hulu. I get that there's ad issues. But even then, we talked about this in an earlier podcast and you put out the really good point, which is like they could just double the ads. It's like there's ads for the broadcast and there's ads for like you can get more personalized on Hulu and we'll sell double that. The issue lies within the Academy. The issue is not necessarily ABC, which is, mm. you know, selling ads they're selling out of ads. Like, they're making their money on it. They're happy to carry it. I mean, the ratings are not great. The issue is the Academy does not know how to make entertaining television. And so I tweeted about this. I can't remember if we talked about it on the last podcast, so I'll just go through it quickly. There is two conversations happening about the Oscars that get conflated every single time. There is an issue with whether or not the movies that are nominated are totally divested from the audience itself, or divorced, I should say, from the audience itself. And that's a film question. And then there is, are the Oscars entertaining? And that's a TV question. Mm. And so when we think about how to solve the Oscars, one is, okay, where is your audience? If you want to reach a younger audience, you have to be on uh, at least two, you should probably be on YouTube and Twitch to some extent. Um, and two, you got to make the show entertaining. The Grammys last night did not pull in good ratings uh, at all, but it was a much more entertaining show. People who watched it were like, you know, I had a good time with this. This was three and a half hours. I didn't feel like it was wasted. Like, I had a good time. It helps that there's popular music from popular artists being performed. But the Oscars need to, one, yes, figure out their distribution situation and change it so it reaches a younger audience and is much more interactive and is much more personal, hence the YouTube and Twitch angle. But also... You need to figure out how to actually celebrate film and not just the celebrity factor. And I think that's what gets caught up where it's like, hey, we or we want to watch these movies. And of course, we love the talent. But like, let's do something with film. Like, let's figure out a way to visually make this something that is so enchanting for two and a half hours. that you are going to watch it easier said than done. But I do think that uh, uh, it would not boost ratings overnight. But if you were to make it available at the same time on, on Hulu, people would tune in. They have Hulu. A lot of them don't have antennas for even basic broadcast. Yeah. Like that's, you know.
0: One way to reach a different audience. All right. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned um, different kinds of TV shows and different kinds of demand. I wanted to ask you, you, you wrote about how um, on Twitter, our flag means death surpassed demand for euphoria last week becoming the most in-demand show across all hbo and hbo max in the u.s you said pretty good for a show with very little pre-launch marketing demand grew 208 percent between its premiere on march 3rd and its finale on march 24th that is wild for an entirely new series my question for you is this out of the gate i heard a lot of people say oh look our flag means death it sort of didn't get a lot of marketing nobody's talking about it it's a flop nobody's watching and then something funny happened which is i guess people started talking about it and i started seeing people mention it in my twitter feed and it seemed to pick up demand as you put it and 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 buzz and become something much more after i saw it sort of written off and so my question for you is like what happened because i can't decide whether our flag means death or is invisible or if it's a hit uh, and that's weird i think you just touched on by the way like the
1: quintessential uh, identity crisis of the streaming era like i i really do i think you touched upon like is this a big deal because i'm seeing people talk about it or is this a totally invisible thing that only people in my world are talking about um, which is what led me to investigate because I went from being like, okay, the show has no pre marketing. It's barely been marketed, despite it being a Taika Waititi show. Yeah. Um, and so I was into it from the get go. I was like, I want to watch the show. It looks like The Office meets, you know, Ted Lasso meets parts of the Caribbean. Like, that seems yeah. really fun. And uh, I won't spoil it, but the show uh, ends up getting into some really, really heartwarming um lbgtq related um topics in a really authentic and beautiful way and overnight almost from the basically so for, uh, from data perspective it grew 208 percent between the premiere and the finale three weeks later because it had a weird distribution cycle like it was like two episodes and three episodes and two episodes um but overnight after that finale i would check in on things like tumblr i would check in on fan fiction sites i would check on tiktok i would check on twitter and it was like there were hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of posts being made, and it was like I didn't know what the show was. My friend who is maybe queer, or my friend who is an ally, or my friend who just likes Taika Waititi, um, told me about it, and I binged the whole thing in one season. It is now like the mo- the top breakout show globally. It is the it was at one point like the number fifth or sixth show in the U.S. across all streaming services. It was number one on HBO Max. It overtook Euphoria. Like it was. This moment of oh no, this show is performing, um, but it's still one of those series where you're like I've I haven't seen any marketing for this, I haven't seen a trailer for it, like I just I don't even know that it exists. But the word of mouth from people really turned this into you have to watch this. Like, it's just that type of show. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not going to say it's Bridgerton level. I'm not going to say it's Squid Game level by any means. But what that show managed to do was prove that word of mouth hits can still happen on streaming. Like, that is what that show did. That show was like, hey, if enough people talk about it, it will lead to more people watching. And that's a great thing to happen for HBO Max, where they, you know, very little money is paid on marketing. The show is... Not a high budget show by any means, and all of a sudden it's sitting at the top of their charts because people are just talking about it enough that, and it's short. It's like eight episodes at half mm. an hour each. You can go in and you can binge it all overnight. Um, and so our data, I looked into it, and our data proved that it was like, oh yeah, here's exactly when it really took off, and it hasn't slowed down at all. And so I think there it lives. You know, it's it's my it's my favorite type of show because it lives at this. Very specific intersection that I'm obsessed with, which is the idea of a series, a, just a TV show or a movie, and this idea of what it becomes in a very online first um, world for a Gen Z audience. And this is important because when we talk to clients or when I talk to people about the difference um, between linear television and and streaming, and I've t- we talked about in this podcast before, people will watch something on linear television because it was what, what was available to them when they had their TV packages. And so at eight o'clock on Tuesday, there was something on at Wednesday at nine o'clock there was something on. You could, you would market it to try to compete with the other networks, but you weren't necessarily trying to vie for them to pay for each individual channel. They had a collection and they were now looking for different shows and you could kind of compete against them in certain time slots. With shows like these, you are not just competing for someone to say like, hey, I hope this is what keeps you from, from unsubscribing or this might be what brings you in. But I want to potentially turn this into something more. I want this to, become a, to be part of our flywheel philosophy, which is, you know, let's take this and make merch and then maybe there's a theme park ride or there's like uh, a live experience, whatever it might be. That is so crucial to this generation where their identity is intertwined with what they are watching and what they are playing and what they are creating, where they create TikTok accounts as part of their social currency, as part of their identity based on their favorite shows and their favorite characters. To create that level of affinity, and and we talk about this a lot in the industry, but to to monetize that love, which sounds both diabolical and also lame, but to be able to monetize that feeling – is so hard to do. And here's a show that just did it. Like, it just, it did it. And now it's up to HBO Max to really jump on. So I'm going to end this rant by saying Our Flag Means Death is not the biggest show in the world by any means. It is not probably going to be the biggest show in the world. But what it is, is a quintessential example of what a streaming hit can look like at a lower budget than what they people think a streaming hit has to look like. So I think for me... That show is extremely fascinating and also just good. I would recommend it. I liked it.
0: I wonder, um, since it's from Taika Waititi, I had that thought, too, which is like, you know, it's on HBO Max instead of being on Hulu and FX, like what we do in the shadows. And that's too bad. I mean, deals are deals, but it's too bad because it seems like a logical follow up to say, hey, did you enjoy what we do in the shadows? Well. Taika Waititi doing a pirate show now and be like, oh, I get it. But, you know, that's just not they're not connected. There's no flow there. They're just going to make their own way. If you didn't know before about the show until now, well, now you go to HBO Max <laughs> and check it out. Pirates. <laughs> but it's more than just pirates. And you'll you It's you'll see. so good.
1: You'll if you see. like Ted Lasso. Like, if you really, you'll like this. You'll
0: see. It. All right. Before we get to the rest of the show, I'm going to go back to. Yes, it's our sponsor. We have a sponsor again. <laughs> it's like a real legitimate podcast now. <laughs> This episode of Downstream is brought to you by Microsoft Lists, Uh, so important to keep track of the information that's running around in your life, and you're going to want to share it with the people that you work with, people that you live with. If you're looking for a new way to track and manage your work, your life from start to finish, Microsoft Lists is here to help you clear your brain space and get organized. It all starts at lists.live.com com. Microsoft kicked off a preview program to try lists with your Microsoft account, all designed for small business and individual use. Start by creating and sharing your list with your work colleagues, partners, your soccer team, your neighbors, whatever. You might create a list of books or movies. Hey, how about like movies that nom- were nominated for awards that you want to see? Uh, track home improvement or receipts, build out team rosters for that soccer team or or, uh, or a volunteer group at lists.live.com. You can get started quickly with ready-made templates, use filters and views to visualize your information. So you can have one list, but a lot of different views into it. You can share your lists as links so you can get other people's thoughts and work together with them. You can do a lot. There are ready-made templates to save you time, or you can start blank and add in exactly what you want and how you want to track your information. So uh, gift idea list. I love that because I think of great Christmas gifts in May. And it's not helpful then, so you store that away. Playlist, media list. You have a book club where you somebody mentions a book, and you 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 know then later you're like, oh, we could do that in my book. What was that book? Put it in a list, and then you will remember. Uh, collect your receipts. Uh, do something like if you're if you're actually doing your job and you want to have like a progress tracker for a project, you can do that too. There are lots of different ways to do this. Go try the preview now no cost. Just go to your browser and type lists.live.com. Couldn't be easier. List.live.com. Sign up, sign in, and track what matters most. Check it out and let Microsoft know what you like and add any feature requests too, because it's new and they're trying a new thing. So thank you, Microsoft, for trying new things and for sponsoring downstream. We like both of those things. All right. uh, It's baseball season starting this week. You and I, Julia, have talked about um. Do I know? Do you have baseball preferences? I I know you have football preferences, and your partner has football preferences. Do you have baseball preferences? Are you like a Blue Jays fan? Do you not care about baseball? Where are you the with Mets. sports? You're you're Break in with the my Mets.
1: Canadian family's heart. The Mets. Okay.
0: Well, the being a Mets fan is thus far. <laughs> A difficult decision to make. <laughs> However, now that now that Steve Cohen owns the Mets, it could get a lot easier because he's spending a lot of money, and I think the Mets could be very interesting. Or they could continue to be cursed. I have a friend who's a Mets fan too. Uh, who's your team? Uh, Giants. I'm a I'm a oh, a, a yeah. from when I was a little kid, a Giants fan. Yeah, I was Good I was team. raised as and continue to be a Giants fan. So. Apple's Friday Night Baseball premieres on Friday. It'll be interesting to see what that is and how they do it and how they roll it out. There's been very little information about it. It's interesting. I wonder how much of that was the lockout and how much of that is that this deal came together uh, late. It's going to be produced by MLB Network, but... um, I wonder if they're going to be interactive features. I guess we'll find out, but that that Apple um, is going to maybe be trying something different. They're doing two games that are exclusive to Apple TV+. Plus. They'll be free. Anybody can watch them for the first half of the year, at least. You don't have to be an Apple TV Plus subscriber. You just have to get this is the other way to do it is put something up for free where people have to get the app or they have to go and they have to be familiar with the service, but they don't actually have to pay. See if you can get them in the door that way um peacock is also going to be doing some sunday day games so that's mm-hmm. another streamer that's uh doing some exclusive only available on the streaming service uh feature i know we've talked about both of those but there is a story that happened in the last two weeks that i want to mention because it's so wild so wacky that we have to at least touch base about it which is there uh so it used to be and this happens in a lot of markets that there are some games you, you know okay well, let's wind it back there used to be all the games that were on tv were on broadcast TV. So your local channel wouldn't show all the games, but they'd show a bunch of games. Like here in the Bay Area, Channel 2 showed all the Giants games. And then cable kind of rose up, and suddenly every game was televised, but a lot of them were on cable. But still, some broadcast channels like kept some games. They kept their, their skin in the game. Um, and that was the case in New York, where the Yankees were broadcast on a local channel, mostly Friday nights, Uh, but, uh, but it was a thing It was like a little sub package. Not all the games were on. Yes. The Yankees cable channel, but they were on local TV. Amazon prime video bought that package. So now instead of those games being, being available free over the air, those games are available only on prime video. And if you're a Yankee fan who doesn't have prime video and you want to watch the game on Friday night, guess what? Starting a week from Friday. Uh, a lot of these games will just be on Prime Video. You won't be able to watch it unless you pay for for Amazon Prime Video. Um, wh- wild idea. Also, my understanding is, and it's unclear because it hasn't happened yet, and only the New York Post has reported this. It sounds like those games will only be visible in the New York Metro area, and then outside of Yankees territory, I think they'll still be on MLB TV, but they won't. They won't be. It's not a national broadcast of Yankees games. It's a local broadcast of Yankees games on Prime Video. What?
1: It's it's so insane to think about how truly confusing and fragmented sports has become in the United States. Like the like football was always fragmented and it you kind of learned to live with it because you had cable and you were like, "Oh, it's fine. I just go to a different network and I'll pay extra for ESPN or whatever it might be." But the idea of baseball to watch your team is, like, the most complicated process. I was joking with a friend earlier that you would have to get Just Watch, which is a great website to Google, like, what you want to watch and where it is and if you have it. You will need that for sports. And I think the irony with this being an Amazon move – so Amazon bought, I believe, a stake in – the Yankee and yes, I'm pretty Uh. sure they bought a stake. And so this makes sense where they were like, we're going to take this and we're going to make it part of ours. Um, I also think Amazon has never really said how much sports does for them. But the fact that they keep uh, investing in different leagues and increasing Uh their investment means that it's probably paying off pretty well, or at least that shows some decent promise. But the the thing with Amazon is this is a company that – under, uh, under uh, priced all of its products to the point of huge loss in order to sell Prime subscriptions. Right, this was the idea: was hey, it's going to be much cheaper for everyone, and that's why they're going to pay us you know 15 20 bucks a month whatever it is to get prime and then the so the idea was they came into all these industries and they were totally like we're going to fragment up the market because we want people to come to us so there was this great statement a few years ago from one of the amazon prime video sports heads who was basically like you know sports is really fragmented and it's really um frustrating and we want to be the place that unifies it and i was like your entire business is partially why the market is fragmented like it's 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 the irony is not lost on anyone yeah and so i I have two thoughts about this where one it you know i think it breaks my heart as not as a business person where i i understand where it's coming from like that i can and i can distinguish those two those two different parts of me but i think just as a nostalgic human i'm kind of like oh you know like this kind of breaks my heart that big tech quote unquote is getting in on this but on the other hand you know there's part of me from a specifically lazy perspective that is like if amazon owned a bunch of rights and i could just pay amazon and they could figure out a way to get all of these games you know broadcasting in 4k at a decent speed without any lag and that's the key point here um it would be as you know as as i'm sure i will get hate for this but it would be i'd be so much easier to be like sure like i'll pay for it it's which i'm saying by the way is cable I'm like, yes, like if you put it all in one place and I can pay for it, I'll make it happen. But this idea that we're going to go into market to market to market and be like, if you got to watch this and regional sports networks, as Jason, I've already talked about, are already a mess. Yeah. The idea that it's like even more fragmented into a space where it's like, well, if you want to watch this thing, you're, you know, you are not using Amazon. You got to go to Amazon and you got to do this thing. Like, it's just... It's so tiring. I think that's the word for it. It is a tedious anti-consumer experience, even if the argument is that it's very pro-consumer because it makes things easier under one roof.
0: I was thinking about it from a perspective of exclusivity yes and there's there's a lot of different angles to this because i think one of the most fascinating things here is that this is a local deal from amazon and it makes me mm-hmm. wonder if we're going to see at some point something that's currently on a regional sports network just get taken by a streamer and it'll yeah. be like fox fox sports cincinnati or whatever it is i guess Bally uh, sports cincinnati no longer has the reds they're only on peacock in cincinnati it's like what that doesn't make but it's like mm, but that might happen it won't be national right because then it gets into like mlb tv wanting to resell that the rest of the the rest of the world it's the opposite of it but uh that that they might you may see more of these sort of streamers picking up local options so that is wild because that that may actually start to happen the other thing though is to your point about like fans the fans okay think about this you're a yankee fan i'm sorry uh 162 (laughs) games a year um, now ten, ten 10 or 12 of them are going to be on prime video. Presumably a bunch of them are going to be on Apple. A bunch of them are going to be on Peacock on Sundays. You've already lost those. You're going to lose all of those Sunday night baseball games that are on ESPN. That are the Yankees and the Red Sox. They're inevitably on Sunday night baseball. Those are all exclusive windows. Well, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that like 30 Yankee games a year If you've got a cable subscription, you know, okay. if you've got a cable subscription, you'll be able to see some of them on ESPN, but not with your local announcers. They'll be with the national announcers and we all baseball fans know ESPN Sunday Night Baseball is essentially a podcast about baseball where a baseball game is playing in the background. They're not really talking about the game like your local announcers would be. So it's rough. Like, it's rough. The idea that, that you used to be able to sign up for cable in order to do sports, it's the reason you keep cable. And now there's going to be a whole, you know, dozen or more games a year, worse for the Yankees, that are just not on TV. They're only on streaming. So now you got to buy more stuff in order to see your team. It Again, we'll get through this eventually, but it's going to be ugly. And it, it is starting to be ugly now because it's going to be super inconvenient Uh, for all sorts of fans to do this the upside if there is one i feel like is that it would be nice at some point to be in a situation where there's a service that carries your local team right because like you said in in the the ideal at the other end of this is can i just write a check to somebody and get all my baseball games and i think that's probably going to be the case i think you will yeah eventually, but not for like a decade.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think the pay TV, I was just talking about this with someone, I think the pay TV household would have to drop below 45 million households for the leagues to then say, we no longer necessarily care about where the majority of the pay TV households are because the majority of people have now shifted to streaming. And so we can offer it. I, I do think... There's this thing with sports. The reason that sports – so the reason Rupert Murdoch kept Fox Sports Network and Fox News was because when he sold Fox to Disney was because sports are the foundational of any TV linear cable or broadcast package. It is like – it's the reason people come to things. Sports are what the majority of people seek out and the majority of what they're willing to pay. So it's why you're seeing all of these people – excuse me, all these companies get into sports because they're like, hey, we can – build this on top of the content of the entertainment content that we're doing. So if you're Disney Paramount or CBS and NBC, you have streaming platforms. So you can kind of say, well, we already have these local, local rights, things that we can kind of look into. We already have the major deals for um, uh, nationwide. And so we'll just move those to streaming and make them simulcast. If you're Amazon and Apple, you got to look in other places because you're, you're competing with people who have been at that table with those networks for, uh, with those leagues rather for a very long time. And those leagues still want to be in people's homes. And so it's easier for them to say, well, everyone has ABC or everyone has CBS, everyone has whatever ESPN to an extent. Like we can just be there and we feel comfortable with it. So this is still an experimentation phase for the major big tech players who are coming in and saying, well, we want to know what we can get from it. We'll, we'll cherry pick the rights that we want and we'll see what sports can really do for us. It is only going to get more fragmented and is only going to get more um, tedious for consumers. And I think that gets lost in this fight for sports because every platform sees sports as the must have because people will seek it out. And it's just there's no way around it. Like it works to an extent that we've seen so far. People will seek out their games that they want. There's no other way around it. But, you know, you can go to a website and watch an illegal stream of a game, but you're not going to get good quality. and It's going to crash and pop up ads and it's terrible. So you're going to go find a way to pay for it. And it's just like this is our future for the next foreseeable future, and it's you know it's daunting. Like it's not a great it, like streaming really fixed co- entertainment content on TV. Like it really was like hey all your best entertainment content is on streaming. So you if you cut the if you cut the cord, you're like well, I don't really miss you know, NBC at night. Like I don't really care about it. I get it on Hulu or Peacock. Sports is the last frontier and yeah. the more yeah. that we see this push into it via like cherry picked rights, the more it becomes like, oh, come on, man.
0: Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's not going to be good for sports fans. I know that Major League Baseball was rumored at one point to they 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 were actually beginning to work on what they claimed was going to be a product that would allow right. people to write to watch their local teams. Yeah, yeah. my my guess Is that they want to launch a product where they're basically going to buy back some rights from the regional sports networks and and price it in a way where basically they can afford to do that. Um, my guess is it's not going to please anybody because it's going to be way more expensive than people think it's going to be but I think that they are terrified of the fact that cord cutters can't watch baseball well, it turns out now cord cutters can watch baseball they can watch a couple games on a Friday and some games on Sunday morning and uh, you know and if they're in New York they can watch some Yankee games on Friday night too but that's about it so like eventually I think Major League Baseball is probably going to come in and start buying out some of these regional sports networks as they become desperate for money um but until then it's going to be tough It just is uh, tough to be a fan i guess i would say and there's going to be amazon's doing an exclusive nfl game um next year too where that'll be only on prime and the same thing if it's your team guess what Uh, sign up for prime video for a month i guess i don't know (laughs) we'll see um some more things to get to before we wrap up today. I had a quick one for you, which is Disney plus moved their previously announced premiere date for their Obi-Wan miniseries starring Ewan McGregor from their normal Wednesday slot to a Friday and announced they're going to drop two episodes on the Friday instead of just one on the Wednesday. And I, I thought this was curious. It's a delay, but also an advancement. They're packing that Friday with two episodes. And I saw you comment on this briefly on Twitter. It's like, Are they trying to experiment with messing with the Netflix Friday night demand cycle? Is this like a shot at Netflix? Is it is it because I have a hard time believing that they're like, oh, no, we need two more days to do episode one. But episode two is done. We can move that up. It's fine. It seems more like this is an experiment that they're doing.
1: Yeah. So the best. So to, to outline it, because it'll be a really quick answer. Uh, the first two episodes are moving to Friday, but then it will go back to Wednesday right. releases. So the question. Right. But originally was it was going to
0: be a single episode dropping on the Wednesday. Right. And now it's two episodes dropping two days later on the Friday instead.
1: Right, and so the question is, why did Disney do that? And yeah. the best answer I can give, in my opinion, I don't have an actual answer for this, but um, my theory is the same reason that HBO Max uh, set its Game of Thrones uh, uh, prequel, sequel, um, House of the Dragon, two weeks before Amazon's Lord of the Rings series is supposed to come out, and they will finish it at the same time. I mean, so Obi-Wan is coming out on the same day as Stranger Things, and I think Disney assumes if they lose the um momentum of that Wednesday going into the weekend and Stranger Things really picks up and it's supposed to be a wild season and Stranger Things picks up, you know, a week and a week and a half to two weeks of Easter egg conversation and people still watching it, then Obi-Wan, the show that they paid a lot of money for, it's a big deal to them, loses some of its steam. Mm. If they do the same day as Stranger Things, then you can arguably get some of the attention onto Obi Wan throughout the weekend and then you come in again on Wednesday and conversation continues with Obi-Wan versus Stranger Things where it kind of piddles off a little bit. So I think it's just a PR play. I think it's very much a or a programming play as well as a PR play. It's to say,
0: counter-programming. Like,
1: it's counter-programming. <laughs> it, I, like, it really is. Like, a bottom line, it's the easiest answer. I'm 95% positive it's a counter-programming play. If anybody works at Disney and wants to let me know, I would mm. love to know. But I'm pretty sure – it's a counter-programming play to keep it on top of the news cycle. This is a big, big show for them. It's not some random original, and they're going up against Stranger Things, and it's, you know, uh, second to last final season, but it's the first part of it. Like, coming back after two and a half years, like it's a, it's a big play for them, and I think they just want to be included in the conversation and try to dominate as much as they
0: can. Fascinating. I would love to hear more, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting to see actual counter-programming. And I wonder, I know we've talked about this here before. We'll continue to talk about it. The art and science of choosing when you drop your episodes. Currently, everybody sort of drops them on a day. But, you know, the networks used to, I, I'm old enough to remember when they put The Simpsons on against The Cosby Show, right? Yeah. Like, they, they they would play dirty Uh, in an era where I know it's streaming, it's all on demand. But like, if you drop two things on the same day, I mean, if you have enough time, you can watch both of them, but you may only get to watch one and you're going to have to choose. And as you said, it's also about framing that conversation about what's the buzz, what are people talking about? Does the buzz from Obi-Wan get blown away in two days by Stranger Things? And can you override it? And like, I don't know. I, I have also seen some streamers will do their premieres early, I saw that just happen with Moon Knight, I think. Did Moon Knight premiere a couple days early? I think maybe it did. I I, I know that there are some... It moved. Yeah, definitely moved. Yeah, there's some experiments going on with release dates. And this is another one. But like, I'm kind of fascinated. To be clear, Obi-Wan's not moving to Friday. They're going to do the rest in the regular Disney Plus release window. But they moved its first release to be the same day that Netflix releases its stuff. I don't know. I... If I had to bet, I would bet that we will see more of this direct competition of like, no, 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 no. We're not giving you Friday night Um, just to make things more confusing for everybody. That would be great. Um, Okay. So here's the big one. Our mascot, our official thing that we love to talk about, uh, which is CNN Plus has launched. And I have a big admission to make, which is I subscribe to it. For science, I subscribed to CNN Plus. I'm not going to keep the subscription, but I wanted to see. It's for for my work, for my job, talking about it with you. I had to subscribe to CNN Plus and watch it. I did. And
1: tell me everything. Tell us everything.
0: Well... So on over on the TV Talk Machine podcast that I do occasionally with Tim Goodman, I likened it to um I it's an episode called The Spoon in the Tunnel because basically what I said was it reminded me of for all the reasons that we've talked about it, it reminded me of a a person in in prison trying to tunnel out of their cell with a spoon um where like it's a very slow process of extracting yourself from the prison that is all of that cable revenue and so they're very slowly digging the, the escape tunnel and c n n plus is the escape tunnel it's not the end of the tunnel where they're out it's just the tunnel <laughs> um because that's how it feels like so you said it, you had a tweet that I thought was perfect, which is um you said I had to explain tonight in depth why c n n plus won't actually see stream c n n live and was met with a bunch of so what is c n n plus then which I think is the big problem i look, they've got their catalog of specials. Those are nice. Although again, it's not really enough, I think, to merit a streaming service. They have their shows that stream live, but some of their shows seem like they're pre-taped and they're just really, it's like a YouTube premiere where they're premiering live. Maybe some of them are live, but some of them are not. Also as a West Coaster, their live premieres all happen in the afternoon, not in the evening. And that's kind of a bummer, but I know that most You know, most of the cable news happens in the afternoon and then they rerun it uh, later for the West Coast. And so it's on demand and that's fine. My big complaint about it is exactly what your friend complained about, which is I I still think they need a linear component. And I don't really care if most of the time the linear component is just running their shows on a a linear channel. But sometimes with news, you really just want to turn it on and see what's happening. Mm -hmm. And if there's somebody programming that at CNN Plus and, and when they've got a live show, the live show is on. And when there's breaking news, they break into the linear channel with the breaking news and maybe they have a top of the hour. And I know that's replicating CNN in a way as like some weird alternate streaming CNN. But, you know, right now they will do live breaking stuff. But unless you go to CNN the app and see that there's a live breaking thing or get a notification. You won't be able to see it. And I don't know. It just, it it feels like they're, they're missing a big piece, which is that one way we consume news is by turning it on when we're ready and seeing what's happening now, rather than just playing something on demand. I on demand is good. um, And, and their shows seem fine, honestly, um, I just wonder why they aren't wrapped around a, some sort of a linear offering that makes me feel like I feel when I turn on a cable news channel. Because I still find some comfort in the idea that if something really big happened, they'll tell me about it instead of just keeping it on Wolf Blitzer on tape from four hours ago. <laughs>
1: There's this very ironic moment we're in where somehow, and I say ironic because I'm sure Jason will remember, and I'm sure many of our listeners will remember, the debate that happened around this when HBO Max announced their name and everyone said, how could you go with HBO Max? It's a terrible name. And I'm thinking of the irony now because everyone thought, well, plus is the way to go, except that when you add plus to a title, it assumes that you get everything of that and then more. more. Mm -hmm. And so ESPN Plus and CNN Plus are in this really fun position where they don't actually carry any of what is on the actual thing. It's ESPN Plus and and CNN Plus, but, you know, not like that's kind of the thing. And which is fine. If you want to say, hey, CNN does really good infotainment programming, which is documentaries and travel shows and um, topical conversations, that's a that's a different proposition from CNN Plus, where people are saying, I would like to see what's happening in Ukraine. I'm going to turn it on to catch Don Lemon, Anderson Cooper, Jake Tapper. And oh, no, Jake Tapper is talking about books, which, again, is fine for Jake Tapper, but it is not what CNN Plus is. Now, the branding of it is a question that could go away because we don't know. We no longer talk about how HBO Max is a bad name. And that was the only conversation that happened when HBO Max launched. Right. And so maybe it doesn't. But it, it, it doesn't imply an inherent value when a consumer is looking at that title. When I'm looking at CNN Plus and I'm going to pay six bucks a month. I'm going to inherently assume the value of my $6 is I will get live news and the live news that I would get on CNN and then more, but instead you're getting the more, which would supplement a really nice bundle uh, within, sorry, within a platform. It would supplement a platform really well, and I'm not getting any of the live news I thought I was promised, and that means that the, uh, or so that's the perceived value, so that means the inherent value is much less than $6, and I'm going to cancel pretty fast if that's what I'm signing up for and I'm not getting what I'm getting. And we've talked about this many times on this podcast because Jason and I love talking about CNN Plus. And this is the inherent issue with having a cable network that is so reliant on the affiliate networks, and the advertising over there and all the rules that they cannot break with what they carry on linear versus what they carry on streaming. But it does make you sit there and realize You know, if this is what CNN Plus is going to offer and the programming is not bad, like we're not saying the programming is bad by any means, but if that's what you're going to offer, that works really well within a bundle where you're offering prestige TV on the HBO side and other unscripted reality programming on the Discovery side.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it actually is a really would be a really good supplement for a merged HBO Max and uh, Discovery bundle or or combined service. Um, and my understanding is, you know, they are promoting it on HBO Max, but it's still its own yeah. service. They're just using it as a promotion thing. And I think, well, you actually, you can't
1: actually sign up from HBO Max. They're, they're promoting it, but you go and you click on it. I, I checked for this reason because yeah. I was like, oh, can I just sign up through here because I'm lazy? That would be nope. great. And no, you can. But they have like certain CNN specials on HBO Max. And yes. so like you can watch, which is basically just a CNN hub. Like they're like, here's the yeah. hub. But there's no actual way to be like, hey, subscribe to CNN no, Plus. It's just from be aware the app.
0: that it exists and then go buy it somewhere else. And I think, yeah, I think in that context, having like a, a news program that is like they're doing, they're having Wolf Blitzer. It's actually, I think, a very smart move in terms of their content. They have Wolf Blitzer doing a essentially a network TV newscast. He, is, he does a 30 minute news summary show. And I thought, well, that's really smart because that's essentially CNN Plus's. NBC Nightly News uh, with Wolf Blitzer. I'm like, all right. I kind of like that as an idea that if you're somebody who's cut the cord and you want that semi-traditional 30-minute newscast, you can get it. I think that's an interesting bit of programming. I think it would be more interesting if it popped up every evening on HBO Max than it does maybe inside CNN. But I do think it's an interesting idea. I just think the push and pull here is that there's, in my mind, there's three kinds of content. There's the kind of stuff where you make an appointment and you watch it uh, three kinds of news content, make an appointment, you kind of watch it. And that could be uh, all the Fox shows, or it could be like the MSNBC shows or whatever. But it's like, I'm going to watch Rachel Maddow, or I'm going to watch Wolf Blitzer, or I'm going to watch Chick Tapper, whatever it is, Don Lemon, you name it, right? Chris Wallace uh, now on CNN Plus, um, or or um, oh, what's his name? Shepard Smith on CNBC, right? There's those things where it's like, well, I just want to watch their show tonight. Okay, great. It It does that. It doesn't do that with the show, you know, but it does that with some shows. They've got those things. There is the entertainment content. It's the Sunday nights on CNN. What is it? It's like, oh, it's Stanley Tucci in, in Italy. Great. It's all of the Anthony Bourdain stuff that they've got in the catalog. Great. And then there's what's happening right now. And, you know, honestly, NBC News has a live news channel. ABC News has a live news channel. CBS has a live news channel. The BBC has a live news channel. There are lots of live streaming news channels out there on streaming services. And CNN Plus doesn't have one. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Unless they are literally contractually obligated to not create anything with the cnn name that streams live linearly because of their deals with con- with uh with cable companies or because they're afraid of the cable companies i don't otherwise see a reason why they wouldn't attempt it even if it is the junior squad it is aaa cnn that would be okay because they could weave in their catalog content to it and create this new linear kind of piece cuz that part is missing and i you know maybe it's the war in ukraine but like i have those moments where i think oh, it's the end of the day, what's going on? I want an update. And getting a pre-recorded update from two hours ago is okay, I guess, but I'd really like to flip on, you know, whatever this new service is and see what's happening right now. And CNN Plus won't give that to me, which makes it kind of a difficult uh, service to buy.
1: Well, and and my other question with CNN Plus, which is clearly a talent-driven streaming service it is this idea of if you like our journalists and specifically if you like our anchors you will probably like the shows that they are doing else uh, elsewhere and so i think a great example of what could work on cnn plus really well is brian stelter show brian stelter is an anchor on cnn he hosts a uh, he hosts reliable sources which is a media focused show and so he hosts a lot of he hosts the same kind of show on cnn plus it's a daily show um and for someone who is super into consuming media news um this tends to be people in the media uh they are going to sign up and watch brian stelter every day because he's going to have you know he had um barry diller on the other day who's one of the largest cable guys and and he spoke a little bit about disney and that's the type of thing where you're like i'm going to watch this you know chris wallace interviewing bob Iger, i want to watch this if you really love jake tapper don lemon anderson cooper you're going to sign up to watch what they do my question is how and, and and before i say that the thing with cnn plus is that we include it with general streaming services but it is a niche streaming service and they know this it it is a niche audience it's why the overhead budget's not as high as other streaming services but my question is still how far does that talent go and they may have internal research that says actually our talent has these really strong connections with their viewers and the viewers will sign up to watch more of their programming but again it is hard to think of that which is you know infotainment it is hard to think of that As an acquisition type of content when it is absolutely a supplementary additive churn reduction type of content. And then when you add into the fact that if they're eventually going to include news on the streaming service, whatever they end up launching with, and we know that Discovery CEO David Zaslav wants to combine them all into one. What that news becomes is the heartbeat of your streaming service. You know, it is literally the thing that becomes the reason people open an app. And then once they're in the app, then you can promote to them other things. But if your news really takes off and if you have the anchors that you do, you're in a pretty good position. Linear stuff, let's say they figure that that out. I don't see CNN Plus as a standalone app working unless they figure out the situation with the linear side and they go, cool, we're going to simulcast coverage. And that is not going to happen for
0: years. Right. For the same reason that we say about sports. Right. It's the yes. same thing, which is there are deals and until they are bad deals that make no money for anybody, which will happen. Right. It will happen that yeah. the cable companies will look at what they're paying and the um and the cable uh channels will look at what they're getting and everybody will say, oh, it doesn't work anymore and it'll all fall apart. But I don't know. That's not going to happen soon. There's too much money still going into the cable industrial complex for that to happen so yeah. in the meantime everything gets a little bit weird but yeah I, I i i do wonder though if there is what do you think do you think that they will go down a linear channel route at some point or do you think that it's really just like they can't because of the the golden goose
1: I, so I don't think they can do it now. I don't think they can do it in the next few years.
0: I, in even creating a parallel linear channel within CNN Plus.
1: Oh, yeah. No, they could. Yeah. I think that's part of the goal. I think their goal is to have a form of news that is available hmm. consistently on CNN Plus. It will not be the anchors that people love of CNN. Yeah, but they could yeah. figure – I mean, we, the way that Paramount and Peacock have a version of like their business news wires right. and their news well, programs. Yeah,
0: exactly. There's, there's an alternate – Alternate universe version with with younger, cheaper anchors.
1: <laughs> but, but the but the bigger question again with that is you know, we didn't say when I just compared that right then, I didn't say, oh, you know, like NBC and Paramount's split off new services. They're within the apps and the idea yeah. is that hey, if they if people are looking for some form of news, um, and it becomes the idea of a heartbeat within a streaming service, you want it to supplement. News is an additive product; it is not unless we are in times of you know war, famine, like uh, pandemics, like unless you are in that moment and people are glued to the television set, an election, um. It's really, really difficult for you to say, hey, come get your news from us when Twitter exists, when Apple News push notifications exist, when The New York Times is giving away their paper for like a dollar a week during a trial. Like it's really difficult to compete in that space at a six dollar a month level, but it does make perfect sense within a greater bundle. I mean, we'll see, you know, what happens with the midterms. Like we'll see if CNN plus Because it will not go away before then. And we will see if when the midterms come around and they figure out their anchors and their reporting and their life situation, if CNN Plus can do something for cord cutters that makes them go, yeah, I'm not watching, you know, John King, but I'm watching a version of this. Or maybe John King has a 30 minute post analysis thing that he does like that. And I think that's cnn's big bet i don't think the bet is necessarily on creating a new wave of content that is going to change the world i think their biggest bet is on keeping talent happy and on make and making their talent um almost cross-dimensional cross-platform like that is the goal and if that is that's going to work for them and it's but it's going to work regardless of where it is it's going to work regardless of where it is you know standalone or in a bundle
0: what you just said made me have a have a thought that I th- I feel like I've got a better grasp of what CNN Plus sort of is and could be which is CNN Plus like you said earlier it's an a- the plus means in addition to it's a supplement and if you look at what's currently on offer from CNN Plus it is that it is what if you see, you know, yeah, Wolf Blitzer has a show on CNN for 90 minutes, but then he's got a half hour newscast after that. And you start to say sort of like, we've got our anchors doing their shows over here, but then they also do more on streaming that you can get to. It's like, okay, that makes sense. If you love CNN, or if you love some of these personalities following them to CNN plus, that's great as a supplementary service. However, what it leaves that service as is an afterthought and also an adjunct to a cable tv product and it is not enough on its own and that's what doing a linear channel and, and that is uh On streaming that is uh wrapping in a bunch of other stuff is maybe one way to make it feel a little bit more like a streaming native channel instead of what it feels now because it honestly does feel this way it is literally for fans of the cable tv network cnn here is a streaming service that lets you get more of it that's what it is and that's fine but as somebody who is not a cnn viewer normally um I used to be, but I'm on Fubo and they don't have any of the Turner network channels. So I can't get TBS or TNT or CNN. I just can't do it um, unless God. I sign up for Sling Blue, which <laughs> I probably will for the NBA playoffs anyway. Uh, uh, or Fubo needs to kind of deal with them. Uh, but regardless, it means like for me, it's just like, OK, I get I get this fragment of it, but I it doesn't have the meat. And, I, you know, I think that's going to be a challenge for them. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, let's do some letters before we go all the letters are about password sharing and Netflix because we <laughs> talked about that last time, every single one of them. So, uh, it, you know, it, 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 I'm not surprised. Um, this one comes from uh Demi, Uh, I enjoyed your discussion about the trial Netflix is running to try and persuade password sharers to pay extra for the privilege. Let's say I don't have a Netflix account and I'm considering subscribing with this new option on the table. I might instead find a friend with an account and save some money, all legal and moral. Can you speculate on how big an issue that might be or even how they would measure those missed sales? Love to your mothers. Dimmy from the plus four, four. I don't know. On one level, it's an acquisition of somebody who wasn't paying before. On another level, there'll probably be a downside, right? Like you're going to have to add a, you're going to get have your friend add them to your account, and and then watch it, and whether there'll be like a period of amnesty or something like that. I I don't know. Uh, I always
1: compare it to the Nintendo family thing where Nintendo pretty much knows that they get a lot of 20 and 30 somethings who want to play their games and want to pay for one family account so they can play online. And they're very much like, you know, if you're all paying for it, like, and you're paying an extra like five bucks each, like, that's fine. Like, do you? I think with Netflix, it's in the same boat where Netflix is not expecting... Um, people to sign up together and each person saying like, Hey, I'm going to get a discounted price. Like I'll sign up for this with you. That's the goal. Like if you're, if that's your thinking, um, Dimi, you are their target audience. Cause that's their whole thing is, Hey, you're not going to sign up for a regular plan, but you and a friend might sign up for someone. You guys probably have another friend who has an account. Right. What if you just paid them $3? You know, the winner in all of this is like Venmo. Keep
0: in in mind, though, that it'll probably also have limitations like only three people at once or something like that. So there's going to be inconvenience to it. It's like, oh, they started streaming and now I got kicked off my stream. You know, I do
1: wonder if Netflix will. That's a great point. I do wonder if Netflix at that point will just be like they'll put in um, stipulations for like in code that are like, hey, this account is registered to this type of account. So therefore they can stream more than four people.
0: Yeah, like an upsell. I I think so. A few things. Yeah. One, I think that there are ways to make things inconvenient, but still let you do it. And then two, it it may be that in some markets, especially what they do is they say, well, sure, we will let you section off and give you a discount for a year or something. And then we're going to raise your price. Right. So they may not let you have that deal for all that long, but they'll they'll offer this kind of like amnesty uh, password sharing thing, you get a year for a discount and then you're in our system and you're part of who we are. And uh, But yeah, if they make it inconvenient where it's like, well, you you can share and maybe two or three people could share reasonably. But once you get to four or five, everybody's just going to keep getting kicked off because it's too many simultaneous streams. It's a way to do it.
1: I I will say, do you mean just to add to, to finish that last point? I know that you're asking us as a hypothetical, but that hypothetical is The exact question Netflix is hoping people will ask and that will lead them to say, sure, I'll pay an extra three, four dollars, especially in areas where Netflix knows they're going to have to go lower on price and focus more on mobile than they are in the U.S. So the fact that that's even something that popped into your head kind of proves their point. Mm. Whether or not the experiment proves their point, we'll see. Sure.
0: Uh, This is from Jim. He says, following up from the Netflix pilot of advanced password sharing in Central and South America, my wife watching Disney Plus complains that thumbnails aren't loading images, can't follow the UI. I investigate. There's an exclamation point on top of the account icon. I click on it. They want to verify my subscription or identity. Turns out my wife had had to prove she's allowed to watch by having a one time expires in 15 minutes code to my email as the account holder email. That would work poorly with people outside the household. That's a more aggressive method to minimize password sharing. Love to your mother's Jim from the 615 Nashville. I'll just say my daughter texts me all the time. My daughter, who's at the University of Oregon, uh, texts me all the time to say, uh, what's the password for? And then I get a two-factor code, which then I also text to her. It's not that hard. Again, mild inconvenience, just like we were saying before. Not that hard to bypass. It's really not that hard.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the whole issue with password sharing, right? Like, there are all these scenarios that also come up, like, what if you're traveling for work, and then it realizes you're in a different area. And it's, this is the situation that they're going to run into, which is there are so many different anomalies that are going to pop up that they're going to have to tackle one by one. And that's something that they will do. I mean, part of the reason they're experimenting in certain markets is because they want to run into those anomalies, and then, you know, a QA test it and really figure out a way to get around that. But it, it is. I mean, it is funny, right? Their whole thing is like, we're going to crack down on password sharing by sending an email. And then as long as somebody texts you and is like, hey, there's going to be I'm signing in like, like, yeah. keep it out for an email. Yeah. It's not. It, difficult but no, it, it is it's it's, yeah. it's
0: inconvenient and i think yeah. that's the that's the truth of it is the big levers that these companies have uh, because they know they can't we're, the next letter is going to get into this uh, they know that they can't get too far as a crackdown because it will make it really bad for the people who are actually legal subscribers and and that that's not great when you start degrading the regular user experience because you're terrified of password sharers and that's why i think that that won't happen but there are these levers there's the mild inconvenience which is okay i can share my account with other people but it means they're going to be texting me, asking me for uh, two-factor codes all the time. Uh, Or, you know, whether it's an email or I'm going to keep getting buzzed on my phone and it's a six-digit code that it's like, which one of my friends do I have to send this to? And all of that. And it's like, again, doesn't prevent you from having this master plan, but it does make it a little less convenient. and It might make you think, I'm tired of this. I'm not going to share my password or I'm tired of this, uh, of asking for the code. I'm just going to pay for my own thing. So like they have that... They have that ability to just make it less convenient and fr- and frustrating and it's 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 a powerful tool. The other lever by the way is if it's someplace where you can also buy things and you have to put in your credit card. This is how like Apple does it with the App Store is you can share your App Store password, but people could literally buy anything they want with your credit card. And that cuts down on App Store password sharing because mm-hmm. that is a level of trust you have to put on everybody who shares that account with you that they're not going to make a big in app purchase and that you're going to have to try to get the money out of them. So that you know, again, there are limits, but um, I, I can just tell Jim from the six one five that like we can we can get around those limits. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's not that inconvenient to just email a code to somebody. Um, this is from Chadwick, who says greetings from Colorado. I've uh, I listened to episode 13 about Netflix and sub accounts. I was reminded of a frustration I've experienced logging into Hulu from someplace other than my home. When we go on vacation, we take our Apple TV box with us. Even still, Hulu recognizes I'm not at home and will not me let- log in without a location change. It only allows four location changes to your account. Uh, Once every 90 days, as you mentioned, Jason, it's very user user hostile. I get why they do it to stop password sharing, but I'm using my own login and even my own Apple TV box. There should be a way for me to use my own account away from home. Our workaround is to just airplay from the iPad to the Apple TV because the Hulu mobile apps don't have the same location restrictions. Uh, Chadwick. Yes, I have Fubo. It's a very similar thing. He's talking about the over the top uh cable replacement version of hulu i believe here i think there are some actual like restrictions written into the deals with those companies have with the channels which which allows mobile devices but has some limitations on set-top boxes and so that's probably why they're doing that but i agree it's silly you can just airplay for one or chromecast if you're using stuff on that side of the fence you can do that too uh totally agree with that. It is user hostile. It is silly. I think it's extra silly when you can say but I'm not there. I'm here right now. And so please let me watch it. But um this is what it's all about, right? Is is how you could clamp down on on travel on mobile devices too if you really mm-hmm. wanted to, but mm-hmm. you're just going to make your legitimate customers angry. People going on vacation and wa- wanting to watch their streaming service is not a an edge case, like people go on vacation and they want to watch their streaming service. It just is a thing. So there's a limit to how you can crack down on this stuff without just making your product bad. So again, exactly what you said about the last letter too, right there, the the, the inconvenience of it all. Oh, the inconvenience of it all. Okay, one more. George says, in the last episode, you spoke about getting subs for moving people from shared accounts to individual accounts. My question would be, uh, making the process of separating accounts easier as well as the financial benefits or penalties to encourage more people splitting off. And do you think companies value a longer history of metadata or more from scratch? Bonus question. Say you're starting a new account. What are some ways you teach the system what you like or game the algorithm? Do you add your favorites immediately to your watch list? Do you create different profiles for discovering new shows and one for the greatest hits? I love the show. Listening to you. Oh, this is all just very nice things about us. It's so thought-provoking. Thank you, George. Love oh, uh, thank you to George. your George. Thank you, George. So um, I- encouraging people to split off by making separating accounts easier. I mean, right? That's like greasing the skids to give people to... To have people give you more money, it seems like a, right. a, a logical thing to me.
1: Right? Yeah, especially if those customers are just going to leave. If those if those users are just going to be like, well, I don't want to sum up my own account, whatever it might be. It, the way to encourage, as long as it, if you can encourage people to spend more money. That is what their goal is. Whether it is like saying, hey, we're going to offer you 4K HDR for an extra three bucks or hey, we can offer you a separate account for a little bit cheaper or we can offer you eventually if you have your data, you don't want to lose it. You can get your own account. That is the end goal. I do think to your point about what, how, what are the ways you teach the system, it is fun to learn these things and it's much easier to learn how to game on user-generated content platforms. So on TikTok and YouTube, I'm like very proud of how well I can train it. <laughs> um on Netflix and HBO Max what I tend to do is watch enough of different language shows but within the same genre that I'm interested in that I get recommended global options but very rarely is it outside of the genre that i'm specifically looking Hmm. for and i do that by i usually play a bunch of stuff in the background um so while i'm cooking while i'm sleeping i will like put something on and let it play so it looks like i'm consuming it when i am really not and it doesn't mean i don't want to watch it it might be something i've already watched it might be something that i don't have interest in but a lot of people who have watched it will watch it and then eventually like super tailors my search. Um, but I've always said I've said this on this podcast, I think streaming services main goal is to be a vertical of discovery. And so I am not the ideal customer who's like, I know exactly what I would like and please only do this. Right. Um, so yeah, that's a great
0: question. Jason, what about you? Um, I don't do much teaching the system other than I will start to favorite things. I really just will use it and see what happens. But I'm also kind of coming there to watch stuff and not looking for the recommendation algorithm. So I'm not as worried about it. Um, in terms, uh, here's a, the, the question that I thought was interesting in this letter, most interesting in this letter was, um, what's the value of metadata, uh, viewing metadata? I think it's well, it depends. I think if you are on an ad supported service, uh, your metadata is valuable to the uh, the streamer. I, I, because it's going to have ad information in it, I think that it is of some value because they're going to want to promote things to you. As we just said, cross promotion is a thing. I keep thinking though, and I know I said this last time, that it's also kind of a carrot. Like, why not just start my own new Netflix account? Well, I've just spent the last two years sharing a Netflix account and favoriting things and having it recommend things to me and, you know, right, putting things on my list. And I don't want to lose that. So I'll take their program to to um, take my account off and make it its own account so that I can keep that. So in some ways, I think it's more like an inducement to use their their program than it is anything else, because I don't want to lose my metadata and start from scratch. I I don't know whether that you know everybody thinks that way, but I I would definitely have that thought of like, oh, geez, I just spent all this time building up that list. And now I'm going to start from zero at Netflix. I'd rather not do that and have Netflix say, that's okay, friend. (laughs) You can give us money anyway. It's fine.
1: And from the company perspective, it comes down to two client classes. So if You are new to the service, your metadata, or if you create a new account, your metadata is extremely important because they want to know why you came, what the next thing you're watching is, and then how long you're engaging with what type of content, because they would like to keep you. You're also new at a time when there's um, growth in certain regions is slowing. So it's extremely important to a company like Netflix, but also all the other ones to know why you came in and you know what led you there and all those fun things. At the same time, if you're a customer of three years and maybe you're using it a little bit less, or you're really only using it for certain things, Netflix and all these other companies don't want to lose you. And so what you're streaming, what your actions are, and again, they don't know these things by client by client. They just kind of see a bunch of data pulled up in a chart in a SQL sheet, basically. Um, they can then point to and say, interesting. So this person uh, who doesn't really engage with our content, but is engaging whenever we have a new... Historical drama. Okay, cool. Well, how many of other how many of our other customers are only engaging when there's a historical drama? Hmm, turns out there's like 35% of our low engagement users who are at the highest risk of churning are really engaging when we have something like Bridgerton. Maybe we should do more things like Bridgerton. So both metadata classes are extremely important to the company. Um, and so I think that's really valuable. I don't think there's one that's more important to the other. You know, it depends on the time. If you're at a time of high acquisition... Uh, that so that would have been you know for Netflix 2013 2014 2015 um that's it's, it's very important to you know as they continue to really scale at this point you know they're really trying to figure out how to retain customers so they might be looking at the metadata for long-term customers but who are at the highest risk of of canceling or low engagement so they might value that metadata a little bit more but at the end of the day the reason all these companies went to direct-to-consumer was to own the relationship between the customer and their corporation. And so any metadata is going to be extremely important to them. It's also a reason why they like the idea of splitting things off. It's not just additional revenue. It is extra metadata to collect across different accounts and to f- further fine-tune their algorithmic recommendations, to further fine-tune their marketing. Um, so, I mean, that's you hit the nail on the head, George. Like That is the question. It is, it is always metadata.
0: Mm, fascinating. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, it feels like we just got started, but it's actually been like 80 minutes, so it, it, <laughs> that's wrong. It's just been a pleasure. It's been fun. I hope it's been fun to the listeners. It's been fun to talk about this, and we'll be back in two weeks for more. If you have a question for us, email downstream at relay.fm or go to our show page, relay.fm slash downstream. You could also just tweet at us at Downstream Pod. Love to your mothers. We love hearing from you. You can find Julia at Loudmouth Julia on Twitter, parrotanalytics.com. You could apply to work with her even if you wanted to. Look in the show notes for that. You can find me at Snell, on Twitter and at sixcolors.com. And until the next fortnight, Julia, say goodbye.
1: Have a good night, guys.
0: Goodbye, everybody.